boy, do we have a show for you today. Mr. Steve Sheets is on the podcast. If you are from Pennsylvania or anywhere on the East Coast, you know about Sheets Convenience Stores. If you don't, uh, they won Convenience Store of the Year uh, several years running. They've done amazing things in our area, not only building the greatest convenience store ever, but also helping out in the area, contributing their time, money, knowledge, to helping central Pennsylvania and a lot of Pennsylvania grow in itself. So I got to thank Steve, number one, for uh, being a part of many of those projects. Steve joined the Sheets family uh, as a professional, as an, as an active employee back in the 60s when his brother Bob was running the stores. So Steve took over and helped bring Sheets to where it is today, which is a multi-million dollar, I don't even know how much money Sheets is worth, but it is a gigantic organization that has so many stores throughout our area. So if you don't know a whole lot about Steve Sheets, I'll give you like a brief bio. Uh, he has been the family council chairman chairman at Sheets since October of 2013. He was the chairman at Sheets Incorporated until October of 2013, uh, and he's just done incredible things for our area. So I, I can't thank him enough being somebody who grew up in central Pennsylvania for all of the things that he has done for our area. But this is a great conversation that is spanning decades. So there's tons of experience involved. Any entrepreneur, anybody owning their own business or wanting to run their own business. Uh, one of the biggest things I get hung up on is like fear and doubt and uh, taking risks, right? And Steve, his brother Bob, they were masters at this sort of thing. And when you take the risks and when you push the fear aside and just go for it, you can see amazing things happen. And you can see that through Steve's sheets. That's why I am so pumped up to have this conversation for you today on the show. Before we get there, we got to talk about our sponsors. Shout out to Harlequin and Pepper Yoga in downtown Hollidaysburg, Pennsylvania. So at 320 Allegheny Street in Hollidaysburg, Harlequin Pepper Yoga is vinyasa yoga rooted in science, focusing on functional movement and anatomical alignment. You can find Harlequin Pepper Yoga in the App Store or Google Play or on Facebook and Instagram at Harlequin Pepper Yoga. Here's the awesome part. Aaron, who runs the place, uh, said if anybody comes in and uses the code word ROBZ, Either walking through the door, or in the App Store, or on Google Play, you can get one month for free toward a six-month or a year membership. Six-month or a year membership, one month for free using the code word ROBZ. How cool is that? Also, the Clay Cup, 1304 11th Avenue in Altoona, the Clay Cup on Facebook and Instagram. Talk coffee, tea, and creativity, pottery painting, watercolor classes. It's like the ultimate hangout spot for Central Pennsylvania, and also to Juice, that's J-O-O-S. So Juice is located 517 Allegheny Street in Hollidaysburg at The Juice Bar, cold pressed juice and smoothies, smoothie bowls and bone broth, all that goodness. Now let's get this very special show started. This is Rob Z Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the podcast. We are here uh, in the Catalyst Space Studios, downtown Altoona, Pennsylvania, with a very special guest this morning, or afternoon, or evening, whenever you're listening to this episode. Uh, Steve Sheets is here. Steve, thank you so much for being in the house. Yeah, you bet. Glad to be here, Rob. This is amazing that I, I got you in the studio to sit down and talk uh, business, talk life. Uh, how are you? 
well, I'm doing good. It's a beautiful day, so uh, I need to get out and enjoy it. Yeah, you know? so <laughs> you, tr- you want to try to wrap this up then quick. Is that there what you're you saying? go. doesn't have to be quick. No, no, it doesn't have to be quick. Just concise. Um, so I, first of all, if you're not from the central Pennsylvania area, uh, if you don't know what Sheets is, if, I mean, if you're not from the East Coast, I guess, and you're not sure what Sheets is, I guess, would be the situation where the, the, those are the only people who wouldn't know. You guys have been around since... Uh, when was the initial like sheets name introduced? The fifties, the sixties. Well, actually, actually, my father had five stores in the forties. What he called Sheets Dairy Store. Sheets Dairy Store. Yeah. Yes. And then my brother Bob took over one. That was really the start, nineteen fifty-two, when mm-hmm. he first took over the first store. So that's when we trace our history to. And you came in in the sixties. I started nineteen sixty. We had one store. I was twelve. We were there was eight children in our family, and at the age of twelve, we were expected to go to work. So we either worked one of our father's five stores uh, or the dairy, or we worked uh, down at Bob's store. So I worked at the dairy for a couple of weeks. <laughs> that was hard work. Plus, I didn't want to get up three three o'clock in the morning. Milk the cows? Uh, well, we, we had the, the, the dairy was down on, on 4th Avenue and 24th Street. So we got in the trucks or loaded trucks. Yeah. Uh, and I want to tell you something, at 3.30 in the morning is not a lot of fun. So anyway, I chose to work with Bob. Uh, my hours were 8 a.m. to 1 p.m., Monday to Friday. I was in seventh grade. It was in the summer. Wow. So I worked 25 hours, and he handed me a $20 bill every Friday, 80 cents an hour. <laughs> and I looked forward to that 20 bucks because I loved to shoot pole, play cards, even at the age of 12. So yeah. I was happy. Well, working at 12, too, as you started everything pretty young. Yeah, I mean today I look at my my grandchildren. I, I can't imagine them working at twelve. It was just it was a different era, you know. I started at fifteen, so I was only a couple of years off. But I was in radio. That doesn't really that's not really work necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> Sitting there staring well, at a microphone. It's, it's, it's talking. You know, it's talk, <laughs> Something. <yeah. laughs> but uh, so back in the the sixties when you got started and and you were working with Bob, who was your older brother by what like twelve years? Was he your Bob's fourteen years? Fourteen yeah, years. Okay. He, he's doing well. Yeah, he's uh, in good health. I think the thing that I going through the book and just. Uh, dissecting it, the thing I got out of it the most, the thing that always resonates with me, and we were talking about this a second ago, is just fearlessness and being able to go in and uh, and understand. You guys said right at the start of the book, like this is America, and you realize at a certain point that in America you can do anything. So anything you, guys, you want, you're under control, man. You yeah. Know. So you guys did anything. I mean, you did, right? You you went for it. Yeah, we did. I mean, you know, I tell the students all the time, and it's. This is America, uh, and we've been to a lot of countries where we don't have the freedoms we have here. So I think more than any country, we're in control of what we want to be. So it's up to us to set our goals. It's up to us to you know, to go out and, and make it happen. And I think too many times today people hear the negatives and say, oh, I can't do it, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we ever saw obstacles. They were more challenges that we wanted to overcome yeah you know uh and so you have to look at it differently i think that's one of the major issues is that a lot of fear sets in and there's there's too much there's too much too many distractions right now but one thing there is a lot of right now as far as life coaching business coaching personal development stuff with the internet there's so much of it now back in your day where did you get that information from or was it from your family or was it just kind of uh, innate, like that you had it inside of you? How did you have that mindset? 
in that, that time period? Well, I think, you know, when we grew up, like I said, there was eight of us, and we, we had dinner together. But when we grew up, always the discussion around our table was about Harshbarger dairy because that was uh, um, the dairy on our mother's side. Um, and it had been in existence since 1907. Mm-hmm. And so everybody seemed to work there, the family members. But what we remember well is that every night it seemed like they were arguing about you know, who did the least work and who got the most pay. And mm-hmm. it was just constant squabbles about it. And so our mother kind of pushed us away from the family business so, oh, okay. because she had seen what happened with her family. Uh, and said, you guys, uh, all of you need to go to college and get out of here. And and um, most of us did go to college. And I remember when I told her I was I was going to be a math teacher, actually. Yeah. I, I went to Penn State to be a math teacher. And Bob took me to a game my sophomore year in Pittsburgh. He used to take me to Pittsburgh for ball games. Anyway, he took me in and uh, said, why don't you switch to business management? We had two stores. Once you switch to business management, you and I are going to own 10 stores. So I said, okay, I come home and told mother, and she was not happy. I said, why? She said, well, he's been saying he's going to open 10 stores forever, and he's got two, and it's been, you know, 16 years. <laughs> I said, yeah, but he's going to do it this time, I know. And so I switched to, uh, to business management, and we, sure enough, 1972, we opened our 10th store down in Huntington, Pennsylvania. I still remember the day. It was June 30th. Uh, Jim Kalos was our manager, still with us today, which is hard to imagine. And uh, we cut the ribbon, and Bob said, Brother, let's open 100. And and I knew we would because, you know, he's the same guy that told me when we had two, uh, convinced me to switch to business management, and we'd open 10. And here we were opening 10. So I knew we'd open 100. If you can do 10, you can do 100. Absolutely. Just scaling once, it up. Once you get it going, yeah. Yeah. And before we had started as well, we kind of brought this up a little bit, I guess. Some people get to certain points, and then they, they hit that, that peak that they wanted to get to, that goal, and they can coast from there. And yeah. they, they're happy for that happening, but they never set another goal. Is that, that obviously has always been the point of Sheets. You hit yeah. the goal, set another one. Yeah, and I think Bob, you know, when Bob had the first store, it didn't really do that well. In fact, he drove a school bus. He had to supplement his income because he had four children. And so he was driving a school bus just to keep that store afloat. I mean, he many people closed those stores. There were a lot of those mm-hmm. little dairy stores, neighborhood stores, and most of them closed through the years. But he was able to supplement his income by driving a school bus. And he hung in there, and then it was 10 years until that second store opened. But I think about it and a lot of people would have given up. Yeah. Uh, but Bob had that drive and was convinced that he could make this thing work. And I remember 1960, when I started with him, he he drove down to Washington, D.C. to see this new phenomenon that he had read about. It was called 7-Eleven. Yeah. And they were opening down in D.C. And he went down and he came back and said, that's what I want to be. And he threw the restaurant out of his first store, which was, which was kind of an L-shaped building, and half of it was a restaurant. He threw the restaurant out and said, that's what I'm going to be, convenience store. And that was the, the dawning moment that he had. That was the big moment. Then that's wild, right? Because some people think like you have to create things out of thin air. Like it's got to be your idea. You don't want to copy other people. But obviously, he took that model, the 7-Eleven model, made it his own thing. And it, I mean, you can see the similarities, obviously. Right. But it's become such a powerhouse uh, in our area and on the East Coast that, I mean, I would always, I mean, I, being from Pennsylvania, I'd always pick sheets over 
a 7-Eleven, but I would never really compare the two. It's right. had its own feel and its own sure. uniqueness about it. So uh, what, what's your stance on that as far as taking somebody else's thing and maybe not completely ripping it off, just copying it to get a better leg up on what you're doing? That's what Bob and I were all about. I mean, we would read constantly. And when we read about somebody was doing something interesting, we got plane tickets and we flew there. Um, and I still remember... Uh, it was so funny because we used to go to all the conventions every year, big conventions, and we'd read about these people, and he and I would kind of target who we wanted to see at the convention. Mm -hmm. Everybody has breakfast together, and you go through a line. And so we kind of position ourselves down at the breakfast buffet, and you know, and I might be looking for for Jerry Thompson who ran Seven Eleven, or I might be looking for Chester Cadjo who had uh, Quick Trip, and that's what we did. And we waited for them, and we jumped right in line with them, and we had breakfast with them, and then we started talking. And I remember with Chester, you know, Chester was selling 60,000 gallons a week, and we were selling 10. And I said, what's he doing? Well, I remember waiting for him, and I sat down with him. Pretty soon, he asked me to come to Tulsa, and I was there. Yeah. And he was telling me how you pump 60,000 gallons. You know, you put in more pumps, and you got to get better, bigger restrooms, and you got to put a canopy up. All these things that I thought were extra expense, he showed me that uh, it's what customers wanted. Mm -hmm. So that's what we did. We copied everything. We're the best copiers ever. Yeah. I'm not kidding. <laughs> we would jump on planes and go and find, you know, we saw somebody was doing food. And uh, I remember we went to England because there was a lot of great packaged food coming out of there, which eventually led to our ready-to-eat sandwiches and, and salads in, in, in our store because in England that's been big forever you know here people wanted everything they thought fresh yeah. but they didn't like it packaged but when you go to Europe I mean you can get fresh food packaged uh, everywhere so we were constantly looking for new ideas and it's it's so important to do that and I think a lot of people miss that step sometimes uh, just because you I don't know if you don't want to feel like you're stepping on somebody's toes or you don't want to feel like you're ripping somebody off or you're copying what they're doing but in order to move ahead you've got to like stand on the shoulders of giants right and follow oh, yeah. what they're already doing and you can always learn something from somebody oh my goodness yeah we went to Japan and uh, visited 7-eleven fascinating because I think at the time they had about a thousand stores we walked into the room, big conference center, and every supervisor was there. They were all male, and they all had black pants and a white shirt on. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a hundred of them, yeah. and they all looked the same. But in Japan, what we found was that the properties were so small in Tokyo because you couldn't afford to bigger that they got deliveries three times a day. Oh, and we wow. said, wow, we didn't think about that being a way to reduce the size of a store. I mean, you get three deliveries a day, you don't need uh, a lot of inventory. Uh, you know, and, and pretty soon, of course, we were into our own distribution, and uh, three days a week, pretty soon we were delivering seven days a week. But um, you always learn something along the way. Uh, reading uh, Sam Walton's book, who created Walmart, it's the same exact thing is that he copied from everybody. He went and, and saw what they did right, got re arrested in 
I forget, like Singapore or something, for crawling around on the floors, measuring the distance between the shelves to make sure that he he had the adequate room. And they were they were, maybe he was trying to find the, something they were doing that he wasn't doing right. So that process, that that humbleness, right, is something that helps you move forward. Because if you're thinking you already know it all, oh yeah, you're never going to move forward. It reminds me, I was out and I ride with our supervisors we all do at least twice a quarter and i was in ohio a couple years ago when i go out i always like to stop in a competitor like i was out tuesday i was in a speedway but a couple years ago i was in a speedway in ohio and i walked in and uh, was walking around a woman come out of the back room all dressed up and she said get out of the store mr she's get out of here (laughs) she had seen me in a magazine and she was throwing me out of the store. <laughs> I said, listen, I'm just, I want you out of the store. You in there with a notepad writing stuff down. Yeah. <laughs> and so we, we loved. I said, listen, I've been thrown to better places. You just, you know, you keep going. <laughs> but how do they think they built their thing? You know, I mean, I'm sure everybody, you know, it's not like everybody had the original idea. You yeah, know, yeah. Well, pick you, and choose. You, you, you run into people all the time. It doesn't stop me. Like I say, I was in Tuesday. I was in a, a new speedway on the way to uh, Pittsburgh just to check it out. Yeah, there, and there's so many places of competition now for you to, oh, yeah. to check out and, and study. So the great thing is, I guess, this is this is your life, right? I mean, you live this yep. day in and day out, so you're always, sure. in those situations, working, technically. Well, yeah, I mean, we always say uh, the vision at Sheets is, you know, to put the business as we know it today out of business because if you go mm-hmm. back to the 50s, uh, Bob's first store was all about a deli, it's about dairy. It was about people packing their lunches. Back yeah. then we had, gosh, I don't know, more than 10,000 railroad workers. So we were, you know, they were in here buying chipped ham and cheese, and they were packing lunches. We had tasty cakes, and everybody, even at school, we packed our lunches when mm-hmm. we went to school. You know, it's almost unheard of today. Yeah. But that was a different business model. So that model today really doesn't exist it's very hard to exist because people don't pack lunches so then we had to kind of make a shift which was immediate consumption people really wanted it now you know immediate gratification which led to you know starting fast food and and just start with hot dogs and uh and we just kind of went from there but that you know we we had to build that food and beverage business which has been the which has been the, the biggest challenge because the other two parts of our business you know you take gasoline Pennsylvania didn't even have self-serve gasoline until mm-hmm. 1972. Yeah. So none of our stores originally had gas. So the gas came on, and then, you know, we got better at it as we went. Um, but even the gas business now is overall is kind of flat and going down. you got the electric vehicle challenge coming at us. Yeah. Um, and then on the cigarette side, those cigarette sales have been going down for, you know, forever. Yeah. Less people smoking, which is a good thing. But, but they cost. I don't know if this is true or not. That I heard that less people smoke, but the cigarettes cost more. So the tobacco industry actually makes more now than they used to. Oh, they do because the no prices question. are higher. But that doesn't help you guys out. I guess. No, and a lot of the price. You know, if a pack of cigarettes is, I don't know, seven dollars usually, uh, all of the the federal government, the state government, even local government has joined in. They get like four fifty or five bucks out of that. Really? Seven. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's uh, that's a great racket they have going. That's they, awesome. They get big money. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Uh, in your book, you were talking about the customer focused part. That's when you guys really turned things around. That was huge to go from like yeah. management focused to customer focus. 
how for any, I guess anybody running a business myself or anybody else who has their own business uh, becoming customer focused what is a, a good piece of advice you could give to stay on track with that? Because I know you can think that in your head, like, oh, yeah, of course I want to focus on the customers. That's how I make my money, but right. that usually slips away after a certain amount of time. How do you guys stay on track with that and and uh, stay focused with it? Yeah, you know, it was easy when I think back to one store because Bob and I worked the register and we interacted with customers constantly, so they were giving us feedback. Um, you know, as you get to 10 stores and then you get to 100, um, each time as you grow, you've got to find new ways. You know, obviously your employees help to stay in touch, but you still got to stay in touch with customers. And when Bob left, after we opened the store 100, you know, like in store number 10, we cut the ribbon. He said, let's open 100. We cut the ribbon at 100. And he said, brother, I'm going to Florida. <laughs> you know, because here you had a, a bus driver with a dream, I think, of 100 stores. Uh -huh. And he hit it. Yeah. And uh, he left and went to uh, Florida. He's been there ever since. So he got uh, out of the game almost yeah. completely? Or no, he, I mean, he left, and uh, he's been on the board ever since. Obviously, mm -hmm. he had ownership. Uh, but when he left, I always say he took his vision with him because mm -hmm. he was kind of the visionary, and I was more the manager. Okay. So I managed day-to-day -day operations. You know, I did the, the, the layout of the store, hired the people, got the equipment in, boom, boom. Uh, he found the locations and uh, got the financing, and I ran the stores. Was kind of how we did it. So then he left in '84, uh, uh, and our sales and customer counts just went down. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when I said, "Well, we've lost something here. I mean, we need to we need to get the magic back here." Yeah. And that's when my brother Louie and I went to Hagerstown. We interviewed forty heavy users of sheets and 40 heavy users of a competitor. Heavy user at that time was five times a week. I mean, we were looking for people who really used convenience stores five times a week. How did you guys find them? How did you... We actually had uh, a company call on the phone and interview these people uh, until they had to be convinced that they actually shopped five times. Okay. And so they got us uh, 40 heavy users of us and 40 heavy users of a competitor. So Louis sat down one-on-one -on -one with, uh, with the 20 sheets and 20 non-sheets, and I sat down, the two days it was, and uh, we came away with our mission. That was back in 1987. That mission serves us today, um, you know, and it's really built around exactly what the customers want us, you know, provide customers with fast and friendly service, quality products in clean, convenient locations. Those were the five items they wanted. Mm -hmm. They wanted one more item, which was open 24 hours. We already were, yeah. so we couldn't really get better. But it was all about, you know, clean locations, and, uh, and it was about having quality products. And the quality products really led us down a path of, you know, then you go to focus groups and what do they mean? and at that point, we had packaged food, and they wanted fresh food, and that really led to the made-to-order uh, program. It, it led to us throwing out coffee, you know, every 30 minutes. It led to getting machines that were beeping and blinking at you. And, and through those focus groups, and then beyond that, we had to back it up and make sure that it was valid, so we had to get a bigger sample. Um, and those five items were what they wanted. I mean, they wanted cleanliness, quality products, you know, clean. Uh, and they wanted enough gas pumps. They wanted enough parking. They said, if we drive by there and there's not an open gas pump, 
we got other choices. We're not coming in. Mm-hmm. If we drive by that and there's not an open parking stall, we're not coming in. They can't see it from the road. They're yeah, not coming so in. that led to bigger locations. It led to more gas pumps. Uh, and all of a sudden, we, we go from 10,000 a week inside to 70,000, 80,000 a week inside. And you go from 10,000 gallons to 60,000 gallons, 70,000 gallons. So um, it, was a, it was a good lesson. And we said uh, we've lost customer focus and we're not going to lose it again. And so that's when the vision as well came out, which was, you know, to create the business that will put sheets as we know it today out of business. And that kind of leads to constant reinvention and constant uh, questioning of, of what the customer wants. So people say, like, I, I remember employees say and, and, and uh, students, where are you going to be in 20 years? And I always say the same thing. We're going to be where the customer wants us to be. And you say, come on, give us a real answer. I said, that is the real answer. I mean, we have to stay in touch with customers. Yeah. Uh, not, not just with surveys, but like riding stores, which I was just out in Pittsburgh on Tuesday. We spend the day riding stores, talking to customers, talking to employees. I mean, you need, obviously, the big uh, sample, the validation sample, but you also need to get out there. Uh, and talk to customers and employees and and, uh, and know what's going on. Yeah, actually in the field who are there doing exactly. it day in and day out. Yeah, yeah you got to be out in the field. I, I just I find it amazing that the whole focus group part of it, like that's such a simple concept, right? I'm not saying it was easy to do, but it's a simple uh, thing to do. And this all came out of that. And so from 84, when Bob left and you guys yep. were kind of confused as to what to do up until 87, you figured we got to get a group together yep. and figure out exactly what they want. And you went from that two-day focus group and created what Sheets is today. Well, we actually went from two-day one-on-one, and then we spent probably a week doing focus groups because oh, okay. they told us those five items. But what did clean mean? So, you know, we, I remember sitting down with people, what does clean mean? And so we showed them buildings, and they said the white building is cleaner than the red brick. And I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, we showed them different lots. They said that lot's cleaner. It had more lighting. And wasn't it like blacktop yeah. compared to concrete yeah. too? The that concrete made it one. Clean. They said that one's much. That one's much cleaner. You know, like, <laughs> it's well, all just yeah. yeah. So we said we've been looking at this thing wrong. We, you know, we thought clean uniforms and clean stores. Yeah. Uh, certainly that's part of it. But lighting and how many windows do you have? Can I see in? Yeah. All of that. Was, was critical. Which you never think about, because those are just kind of emotional reactions, right, yeah. that people have to situations, yeah. especially driving by them. Like, you immediately have a split reaction. Sure. Convenient location. They said, we don't like to use your restroom. Why is that? Well, because I have to get a key from the clerk. I don't want to get a key from the clerk. <laughs> what do you want? I want to just walk in and go to the restroom. Okay, we got rid of the keys. Got rid of the doors in some situations. Yeah, got rid of the doors for the new ones. We... <laughs> We got bigger restrooms. I, I was in one yesterday. had three men's stalls and four urinals. I'm like, wow, we've come a long way. When I started, we had a unisex. When I actually started, we didn't even let you use a restroom. Oh, yeah. I was at Pleasant Valley. I remember our second store working all the time. And they come in and say, I need to go to the bathroom. I said, I don't have one. Where do you go? I said, well, I have one, but it's for me. You know? I have a bucket out back. Oh, I'm not going to let you yeah, use it. Yeah, it's for me. <laughs> but now you got these big restrooms, but it's... It's what people want, you know. We had looked at that as an expense. If you have a big restroom, you got to clean it. 
Well, it's definitely a competitive advantage. People want to stop where you have clean restrooms. So we began to look at everything from a customer standpoint rather than, you know, manager who wants to cut expenses. Mm-hmm. If you want to cut expenses, you're not building one of those big restrooms, you know, with with uh, four urinals and three, you know. You're not building yeah, a, you're restricting the water. Absolutely. You're cutting things way back. <laughs> cutting you're cutting back. Uh, and so when you do that, you know, you're cutting back on the demand because mm-hmm. that's not what customers want. So we wanted it. We had to give them what they want. I, I remember looking at a canopy on the gas. I said, we don't get that much rain or snow. What the hell am I going to put in a canopy for? <laughs> hell, and all of a sudden, people said, we want a canopy. You know what? What we did, what we were doing wasn't working in the 80s. We said, we're going with what the customers want here. And we began to change, I mean, quality products. We, we started making them fresh cleanliness. We started doing concrete lots, more lighting, more glass. Uh, convenient location, we opened up the restrooms. We built much bigger sites, more parking stalls, more gas. We did everything they wanted. Yeah. We didn't even take credit cards, if you can imagine, back in the mid-'80s. Didn't take credit cards. Why? Because it's an expense. Today, yeah. I think we pay the credit card companies about $140 million a year. Really? Process From fees. Cards. Yeah. Because that's the most convenient it's, way to do it. It's what people want. People want to use it. Yeah, nobody, yeah. I don't carry cash on me. Yeah. I mean, I, I, mean, I should, remember but. in the 80s when credit card, the card reader in the pump, they call it CRIN, when you could – Put the credit card in the pump, mm-hmm. and it cost eight thousand dollars per pump to convert. Many people in the industry said, "We're not going to do that. We're going to spend." And I said, "Wow, this is an advantage. I mean, we're going to spend eight thousand per pump, but there's a lot of people not spending. But nobody else is going to do Guess it. Guess what? Where do you think they're going to come? The customer here they come. Yeah, we'll spend the eight thousand. It was worse than that, though. People said, you're going to spend 8000 And I used to come in the store because I had to pay. Mm. I don't have to come in the store. I'm going to put the, my credit card in the pump, which cost me 8000 per, and I'm not coming in the store. And so many of the competitors said, why would I do that? Sure, yeah. I mean, that would be a natural you know, reaction. It was my reaction at first, too. Yeah. I said, how much is this going to cost us? But then over time, I realized how many people weren't doing it, and they went out of business. So it's competitive advantage. That's so crazy because you would think that's going to ruin us. You know, we're, we're paying money at the pump and also nobody's coming in to buy the convenience yep. store food and stuff. Yet, it turned out to be probably one of the best things you could have done. Oh, And then great. you led the industry and now everybody does it. Yeah, I mean, it was great because uh, it definitely ended up being a competitive advantage because they're still going to stop. I mean, yeah, I'm going to go get gas and put my credit card in. If I don't have to go to the bathroom, I won't stop. I do have to go to the bathroom many times. I want a drink. I want something to uh, grab to eat. Yeah. You know, so you may stop in every once every two times or something, but you're going to come back. Yeah. Uh, you're going to come back the place you get gas, fuel. You're going to come back to us, and they do. Yeah, the convenience is, is incredible. And I, every time we travel somewhere and there's not a sheets around, right. I always miss sheets. And not just because yeah. it's a hometown sort of thing. Cause I have, you know, I'm sure you've heard this a million times, but people who come in from out of the area and they come to sheets, like, man, I wish we had one of these right. where we're from because it, oh. you speak to the customer directly. Yeah. And that's just the, such a powerful thing that I think a lot of people overlook. So you kind of combined the customer focus also with the finding things that other people were doing right and then copying that, but then also finding things that people were doing wrong or weren't doing at all oh, and no mixing question. that in. Yeah, but I think, you know, when you say you have a customer focus, if you 
as we were doing, sitting in a room in the in the early '80s, trying to decide things on our own. That's the wrong solution, you know. We got to be in the field talking yeah. with customers. Uh, we also, when we talked with customers, we talked with employees and said, "What what do you want? Well, what don't you like? What do you like?" Number one was, "I don't want to work by myself." In those days, we didn't have enough business that you work by yourself. Nineteen eighty-eight, we committed that there would never be one employee on duty. You would always have somebody. Oh, with okay. You. Uh, there would always be at least two people. Once again, big expense. Um, but we had to build a store that would support two people. So we had to get sales. And we kind of put it all together. And all of a sudden we said, we're going to do what the employees want and what the customers want. Uh, and that's when you have a customer focus, when you really do what, what they're talking, telling you what want done. So that leads to the next part is like finding the right employees and the right people on the team. Uh, what, what's your strategy? Because I, I think anybody right now, I have, I have two people that I brought on board from my own company, and that can be the hardest part, just trusting people, number one, making sure they're the right people and you know, giving them time. And what if over time you find out they're not and you've wasted all this time and money right. on them? Mm-hmm. You know, what are your, uh, I don't know if you have like a core set of strategies that you use for that that would, that would help people out. Well, you know, when I started, we had uh, eight people, 1960. And five of them were family members, actually, at that first store. Today we have almost 20,000 people. Yeah. But I grew over time. When I came out of college with three stores, and my job as a supervisor was to check out the register each day at each store, hire every person, uh, make out your grocery order, when you got the order come and put a price on the outside, I did everything. When we got the seven stores, 1972, I was still doing that. Why? Because I didn't trust people. Yeah, so in your book you wrote that, yeah. Oh, so all of a sudden I'm like, now wait a minute. Do we want to grow or don't we? If we want to grow, I've got to grow. Yeah. You know, so like if, personally, if, personal personal development. Yeah, and, and in the end, you really have to grow people mm-hmm. before you grow the business. And in my case, it had to be me as well as other people. So I had to say, I I've got to learn to trust people. So 1972, all of a sudden, we're going to double our size from seven to fourteen. Well, I can't be running around checking out. We're Johnstown, we're Huntington, we're Steak. I can't be going to every store, counting yeah. the money, hiring every person, making it. No, I can't do it. Now we've got to train people. 1972 was a horrible year because not only did we bring on seven stores, but remember, we had seven managers who hadn't been trained because I was trying to do everything for them. <laughs> right. So there was uh, managers there, but you were still doing most I of the stuff. I was still doing all. They weren't trained, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, that was, that was uh, a rough year. But, you know, you have to, in your mind, assume that people are good. And I do. I mean, um, I mean, it was a, it was my in my own head that I didn't trust people. Most people are to be trusted. It doesn't mean that, you know, you don't uh, interview them and find and, and you know do background checks and all of that. People continues to be. I mean, the the getting of, of people, attracting people, continues to be the top priority. I think with Sheets and will be. It'll be our biggest challenge as we go forward. But I think we've got to provide what you want, much the same as a customer. Mm-hmm. What do you want? We we like, love college students as employees. Why? Because there was a study done, and 
the top clerks in the store, and they did the study, half of them were either in college or had come out of college. Really? And 50% had been referred by a person who already worked there. So those were the two things we decided to incent. So at Sheets, we'll help pay for your college, we'll subsidize, and we'll pay you. Um, we always paid you early on to bring on <coughs> another another person. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that the college students were the best as far overall employees? I, I'm surprised by that. I mean, I guess in some certain situations it might make sense, but I would think it'd be somebody older maybe who was more professional or whatever the situation oh. might be and, and it doesn't mean we don't i mean there's a lot of obviously great great people of, of all ages but mm -hmm. i think overall the students had a kind of a positive attitude they were still young and they were looking to the future and i think all of that reflected in how they treated how they treated customers and um, good spirits you know sometimes i mean i've always hired a lot of women i i was really slanted toward female managers um and said, people said why because i had like eight out of ten <laughs> were <laughs> were female they said why well, well i said i want a woman who has raised children uh, they're pretty good managers yeah you know <laughs> with time with they, yeah, yeah with, with time <laughs> they have to they have to prepare meals they have to manage so many different things. a lot My of kids balancing. get sick when they go to the hospital i mean think about what they have to manage seriously uh, yeah and sure enough, they were good managers. <laughs> Today, we still have the uh, majority of managers will be, will be female. That's an amazing strategy. I've never heard anybody put it like that. Mm -hmm. it makes, that makes a lot of sense. Were you guys, at the time, was that pretty rare, I'd imagine, to have like eight female yeah. managers? It, it, yeah, it definitely was. I mean, you're seeing it more and more females now, but it was yeah. definitely. Because you have to remember that most stores, and many today still, you work by yourself. And so people look at that and say, I'm not sure that's right for a woman. Um, you know, but, but, but today things have, have really changed, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when it comes to, I guess, switching this up a little bit, just talking about helping out kids in the Entrepreneur Center here right. downtown, which we're a block away from, uh, that's some of the stuff that I love the most is the, the way you guys have given back throughout the years and just try to help people who are trying to start their own business or trying to come up to figure out exactly what it is and how they, they want to do what they, they want to do. When it comes to fear, when it comes to those sorts of things that a lot of people, they get stuck somewhere on a, on a fear scale or just on a growth scale, what did you do to get yourself past those sorts of things? I mean, I know you had good people around you. You had a good family. Was there anything internally that you used that was like pushing yourself past that place where you were freaking out? You knew, like, I got to do this next step to grow, but mm -hmm. how do I do it? Well, I think there's a lot of things that pushed me, but certainly fear of failure was a big one. If you go back to my grandfather, became an entrepreneur uh, back in the early 1900s. Came out of the Wharton School at Penn, worked for a bank, developed some allergies, and he couldn't work inside, so he had to come back here, um, worked on his brother Billy's chicken farm, and all of a sudden, you know, they say, the farmers say, we need somebody to haul milk, and pretty soon he's hauling milk, and he opens a dairy, entrepreneur, and comes my father. My father, in the 40s, seems the whole business changing with uh, the home delivery going away, which my grandfather didn't want to see, uh, and, and my father sees this new phenomenon called AMP, and he says, we got to start selling to these people. 
uh, and J.E., my, my grandfather didn't see it, and then my, my father opened five stores, another entrepreneur. Then comes Bob, you know, and Bob takes that one store, and he, I'm like, holy crap, you know, i gotta, I got to succeed here. Yeah. You know, got I'm from a family of, 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 uh, of entrepreneurs. So I think mm-hmm. you got the fear of failure, one, two. I really think people need a strong mentor, uh, and I had the best mentor in Bob. Mm-hmm. You talk about having no fear. I mean, I watched him negotiate. I watched him, you know, I think, you know, you see in the book, we we went to any game we wanted to go to. I remember saying, you know, we, we had in 1971, I think, six stores. And we were going to our first conference in Philadelphia. And I remember saying, Bob, I really would like to see Pistol Pete Maravich. He was the best in basketball out of LSU. And I said, we'll just drive to New York. I mean, we're in Philadelphia. We'll drive up there. So we drove up, and and uh, sorry, sold out. In those days, they were selling tickets not in advance right there. Mm-hmm. Sold out, you know. I said, oh, Bob, we're going to have to go back. We're not leaving here. We're going to the game. I said, but they said they sold out. I don't care. We started banging on doors, you know. It was, if you remember Madison Square Garden, it was all doors all around. They were escapes, you know, exits. Uh-huh. And we started pounding on doors. By the fourth door, we get a janitor. Opens the door. Bob has twenty dollars, and the guy says, "You know, there's no seats." We sat in the aisle. You know. Yeah. And he said, "No, no. Tomorrow night sold out too." He said, "I'm going to tell you, but tomorrow night it was uh, Lou Alcinder. He was still Lou Alcinder, not Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Okay. Lou Alcinder is going to be here. He's playing Willis Reed, and and I can get you seats." We came back the next night too. Another twenty bucks. Slipped twenty up. bucks. Yeah, except this time we had to pay somebody else to move us the seats. And then I remember that first time because I said, you know, I've re- I've read about Joe Namath got a bar up here, you know. We said, let's go. We went to Joe Namath's bar. I was trying to think what it's called. There was Joe back in the corner. I'm like, holy oh, wow. crap! We can do anything we want. You know, <laughs> this really is America. Yeah. Uh, but so that's one of the all when you guys had like six stores that's like in the 70s it dawned on it you. was 1970 yeah it's 1971 dawned on you then hey i mean well i'm watching my brother i mean this yeah. guy you know you want to go to the world series yeah let's go where did he get it from where did he get that fearlessness you know from? he had it in him somewhere just, he just had this first of all there's eight of us the only one of the eight who did not graduate from college was him Okay. The only one. But yet, he was a lifelong learner. Mm-hmm. He surrounded himself with, I remember the bank president, Frank Marsh, who kind of was our best friend, gave us money when I think the rest of the bankers didn't want anything to do with us, but he knew us. And he knew Bob. Uh, and he had Leo Walker, who ran Pepsi. He surrounded himself with good people. Phil Clavan. Phil Clavan probably had 30 shoe stores, you know, and he would spend all his time. <laughs> and he was constantly learning from this guy. But he got to the point where we can go to the Super Bowl. We can go wherever you want to go. We don't have tickets. I don't care. We don't, have tickets. we don't need tickets. We'll get them when we get there. And we'd go. And I'm like, whoa. And you'd get in. We you would get in everything we went to. You know. And Amazing. I said to myself, wow, you really can be and do anything you want. And there's no question about that. And I picked up on that right away. Yeah. And he was a really tough negotiator as well. I remember negotiating with, with the Stroman's bread and with Pepsi. And one day he told me he was going to throw Pepsi out. I said, 
Pepsi outsells Coke like five to one. Right. What are we going to do? He said, well, they're not, they're not giving me 10-cent cans. They're giving them to AMP, and they won't give us 10-cent cans. We're throwing them out. I'm like, really? He threw them out. Did he really? Yeah. <laughs> Take your shelving with you. <laughs> that's so ballsy. That's what you have to do, right? I mean, that's how you... That's why it works. I mean, unfortunately, though, it, it, there's a conflict here because the customer can say, where's your Pepsi? Mm-hmm. Threw them out. That's not a good answer. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't believe he did it, but he did it. And then, of course, Pepsi came back and, and negotiated and said yes. There you go. Yeah. The, the fearlessness eventually paid off. I mean, maybe not initially when oh, people no were question. freaking no out question. about it. but. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that's something that I mean, I've always I've always struggled with, and, and starting my own business, that was kind of the point was to go out on my own. I have mm-hmm. to like, I have to try this. I have to do it, right. or I'm gonna always regret not doing it. Uh, and and you talk about mentors. Uh, I just had Bray Overdorf on. That's what we were talking about as well. I was talking about mentors, and in the world we live in right now, not a lot of people talk about that. I mean, you have people right. you look up to, you have people that you idolize, but when you say like a mentor. You had somebody that you, was sure. your older brother, he grabbed you by the shirt and brought you with him, right? I mean, absolutely. <laughs> that's absolutely. the best kind to have. So, yeah. so somebody who doesn't have one, what advice would you give to them to find those people who uh, are, you know, the, the place that they want to be at in the future? How do they well, find yeah, them? Well, I, I tell our student, you know, I started Sheets Fellows because as I looked back at, you know, what had helped me through the years get where I was, um, and I and I, and I kind of tried to develop that program, and Penn State really allowed us to develop that program, mm-hmm. so that um, you know, in college when I had an entrepreneur come in and speak, I always found that really uplifting, and I, I thought it was great. So we started a, an, an entrepreneur residence where we bring the entrepreneurs in every two weeks, and our and our and our um, students, you know, can interact. Mm-hmm. But then uh, when my wife and I had a chance to go abroad, we, we were like 35 years old. Uh, when we first went to uh, Paris and then preaching, we were in Russia. And, wow, this is a whole different world. i got to get this experience to these students earlier. So we have a study abroad where we take them for 10 days and they get to choose where. And then leadership conference. You so know, you started that even back then, back in your 30s, when you started working with students and stuff like that. No, no, but I say... It wasn't until I was 35 that my wife and I actually left the country. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And I wanted to get that experience because we learned so much. I wanted to get that experience earlier to these college students, which is what we've done. They get to choose where we're going, and we take them for 10 days. Um, and then I wanted them to have a mentor. So we have a committee of five of us that sits down, and we review everything about that student, what they want to do when they graduate. And we match them up in, in with a mentor in this area, and and they tell me that's been one of the most satisfying and, and rewarding parts I think of of, uh, of the program. And so kind of we kind of pieced all of that together as I look back to what what had had really helped me, and we kind of put that together. And I tell the students when we talk, I said, listen, one of the biggest things I learned from Bob was to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And I watched him talk to that banker. I watched him talk to the president. Nobody turned him down. And I said, you, you have to take the initiative to go up. And when I told you the story when we go to the to the conventions, I just wait for somebody. Nobody ever turned me down. People do not turn you down. You've got to have the gumption, I would say, to introduce yourself and ask for help. They will not refuse you. Mm-hmm. 
but all you have to do is ask mm -hmm. is is my point and so we try to try to teach them uh, because it's not easy for a young person to go out and say i need help or ask for help yeah it's but bob was man he was right there he was constantly asking these people and uh, I constantly ask people then, which I didn't do earlier. And now that's what I'm pushing for the students. I it's, want you to ask. It's so true. And, and uh, Ray, Ray and I were just talking about it as well. And, and he was saying the same thing. When he was young, he just approached people and asked them for help. And I said, where did yeah. you get the idea to do that? Like, where did you get the, the guts to do it? And how did you know the right people to talk to? And he's like, just follow your heart. And if, if you wait around for that person yeah. to show up and you... Talk well, to them. Well, you ask people to come on the show. You ask me. You ask others. You ask them to come on the show, right? Yeah. It, that, that's one of the reasons I've learned from other people. It's the same thing. Yeah. yeah. It, it's been years of like, because I think internally you know what to do, right? Mm -hmm. But it's just getting the the guts to do it or the, just getting over that, that hump. And once right. you do, then it seems relatively, it's not relative, It's not easy, but it's definitely not as tricky as you thought it was going to be. Oh, sure. And I think when you're 18, 19 years old, it's, it seems like the most impossible thing in the world. Because, I mean, yeah. all the thoughts in your head are usually going to be negative around that thing. Unless you're like your brother Bob, oh, who sure. was like, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. He had that switch turned on for some reason. I mean, my kids and grandkids, they laugh at me because I talk to everybody. I mean, I go down the street and it was, I'll talk to everybody. Um, and they, the next generation, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of them hesitate to talk to to talk to people. Mm -hmm. But one of the key things, obviously, when I started working at the age of 12, think about it. I was interacting with customers constantly, hundreds a day, mm -hmm. you know, would come up to there. Hi, how are you? You know, we were trained to, you know, smile, always say hello, how are you doing? Always thank you. We had to interact. I started that at the age of 12. Yeah. So I constantly interacted with people, hundreds, every single day. And I think that makes a huge difference in terms of social skills, in terms of being able to communicate with people. The consistency of it, right? Doing yeah. it over and over again. Just, Absolutely. And, especially if you're not attuned to doing that sort of thing. And many of them don't have that opportunity today, you know? Yeah. To, to interact. You can sit on your phone all day and interact Absolutely. with anybody you want Absolutely. to. Absolutely, you can. Yeah. <laughs> when, you're, when you're in front of other people, it, it can be tricky. And I know at a young age especially, and I... I work with young kids. I, I'm involved in a couple of different programs, and I, I try to get that point across as much as I can because I was that kid when I was young who was afraid right. to approach people, afraid to talk to people. Sure. And I saw how much that uh, – and I knew even back then that it was holding me back, but it was like I couldn't force myself to do it. Sure. So if you can find that person who's ahead of you who can kind of push that oh, message like across. the gas business. I told you we went to see the guy who was pumping 60000 He showed me everything. Uh, when we really wanted to get big into the food and beverage and – we're building the big store at 17th Street. I called McDonald's. Oh, really? I thought, I don't know what the chances are, but I want to go to McDonald's. <laughs> they entertained us. Did they really? I took a team out, and they laid out in this huge conference room every new product that wow. they were coming out with. I'm thinking, why would they do this? Yeah. I mean, really, why would they do why this? Why would they do that? And it's when they were struggling because I say struggling. It's when they, they bought Chipotle. They owned Chipotle. Okay. They had a pizza chain. They had a Pret Manger. They had all these different. They were getting really distracted. Mm -hmm. But they took us in. 
I'm saying today if I called them, they'd say, get lost, most likely. Yeah. But they took us. <laughs> we called I guess you were at the right level, too, that they were like, and they oh, were at the yeah. right level. You guys kind of met. In Chick-fil-A. We called Chick-fil-A. They hosted a group down at their place uh, called Walmart. They hosted uh, our top team down at I've their heard place. of that place. I mean, I'm saying you just, you've got to make the call, yeah. you know? Well, you guys were saying that in the 80s, right? In your book, you were saying you guys got kind of off track, too, lost your focus, and started a bunch of different ventures, and then realized, yeah. wait a minute, well, that's what we're I said. not focusing on, our, on at, our main at, thing. At the end of 80s, that's when we started down to Hagerstown to talk, because we knew we had lost focus, yeah. And that's what kind of happens, I guess, is you, and I guess this isn't everybody, but when you start to get really successful at one thing, you think you can do a bunch well, of different things. Well, and, the problem was we still had the model that we had built for yeah. take-home customers and the take-home business was really going down fast and people wanted immediate consumption but our product mix was still geared toward take-home and so we had to redo the whole facility the offer i mean everything we had to redo and we did and and eventually i said we had one store out of 150 we had one store lewistown that fit the vision of where we we're going and now we had to get 149 and say, what are we going to do with them? <laughs> um, and is it a challenge? It's a challenge. But at least we found the direction we needed to go. Yeah. We had one store that fit it. The rest didn't. But, yeah. boy, we were excited. Let's go. And the whole organization was excited. And then the sales started 20%, another 25% the next year, 20 more. Wow, That's this amazing. thing is working. Well, you see it happen in one place. That means it can be replicated oh, in sure. all the other places. I mean, that's, that's yeah. like. And we always say when our stores are pulling for something rather than us pushing it down, yeah. we know it's going to succeed. They were pulling for this new program called MTO. We want it. We all want it now. We want it. All the stores wanted that. But it be... takes like two years, you know, to get back and revamp. But when they are pulling for it, you know it's going to succeed yeah. as opposed to pushing. You're going to do this. Here's what you're going to do. Yeah. They don't like that so much. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that switch right there, that that was the huge part for you guys. That changed yeah. changed everything. Um, uh, real quick, so I guess just to towards the end here, just to get a couple of questions that I, I think would be important for people to, to get something out of. Uh, could you name like three or five things that made you successful or could make anybody successful? I know we've already covered a lot of that on here. Yep. Are there any things that we haven't mentioned that you think is important for anybody at the Entrepreneur Center, anybody who's trying to either starting their own business or working for somebody else? How? What are some of those success tips? Well, I, I think most importantly, and when I speak, I speak about passion. You have to have a passion for what you do. Um, and if you're not passionate about what you do, quit doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, get out and find what you are passionate about. And sometimes, you know, it's it's about a mentor. Uh, in my case, you know, I grew up hanging out with people who played cards and shot pool. And unfortunately, it wasn't. A, they 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 weren't great. In terms, you yeah. know, so you you have to surround yourself with people that have a passion and people that are motivated that is really big because mm -hmm. now all of a sudden you're, you're you want to keep up with them so if you're with the right group who are passionate and who are achievers you want to be there too mm -hmm. so i say you've got to have a passion you know i mean i didn't have a passion with bob i got a passion i got a passion for success i got a passion to satisfy customers i got a passion for life 
uh, a, a passion about helping people. Um, you know, I just have a passion. And I think you've got to find that within you first. Um, I still believe it's really important to have a mentor. And that means being able to, as you would say, have the guts to say, will you help me? Mm -hmm. Ask for help, you know. That's how you, that's how you get better. Um, I think you learn from others. And more importantly, I would say you set goals. You set realistic goals, and then you make sure that you achieve those goals, you know. Some people set goals, and you don't do anything to make it happen. That's not going to work. Mm -hmm. Get used to setting goals and striving toward those goals. You know, when I was back, I said we had seven stores. I was doing everything myself, and I said I've got to get, I've got to grow. And we've always said you've got to grow people before you grow the company. So at that point, every year, at the end of the year, I get through, because I always have my black book, which my wife always laughed at. <laughs> but everything I did was in there, and I listed it all. And every year, I would drop the bottom 25%. Oh, wow. And because I said, I have to grow. Then it got better, because I said, now I've got to only do what other people cannot do. Mm. Not what I like to do, because I used to do what I like to do. Yeah. Now I've got to get it to where I only want to do, need to do, what other people cannot do. Wow. And that leads to, well, visioning. Uh, what business are we going to be in? Looking at the, the challenges we're going to face in the long term, like electric vehicles and the whole food. It leads you to do what you should be doing, not what you want to be doing. Yeah. So it started with dropping 25% every year because I felt, I had to grow 25% on the top end to where I said, okay, now I've got to drop everything that somebody else can do <laughs> and leave me only with what somebody else cannot do. Why should I be doing what somebody else can do? You know, Because anybody can do that. Everybody is yeah. probably doing that who's on your level. Yeah, so what should I be doing? Well, I should be looking at the vision of the company. I should be what are the challenges facing us going forward in the next 25, 30 years? Um, you know, what are we going to do to adapt to it? What are the innovations? Those are the things that, you know, I need to be doing. What strategies do you use when, you, when you're visioning, when you're looking at the future? Do you have a certain place you go to or a certain thing you do to, to get that inspiration? I know if I go on a walk, uh, great ideas always pop into my yep. head. That's my strategy for if I'm mm -hmm. stuck on something. What's, what's your strategy with that? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with reading about you know, successful companies. I mean, God, right now you look at Amazon and, yeah. and Google and, you know, it's a whole different world from where I was. But all of a sudden, Amazon's opening community stores. Yeah. And guess what? They don't have any people. Yeah. In there. <laughs> uh, they're cashless or, you know, you walk in and, and, and you put your card in and then it's using uh, uh, visual identification as well as, the, and, and I can go in there no employees, and I can grab stuff off the shelf. Have you been to one? We're going. Are you really? We got an invite. Not an invite. We asked for an invite. Okay. We are going in August. Where? Where to? In Seattle. Awesome. We're going to see the distribution center. We are going to visit the store. Wow. Uh, we're going to Starbucks. You know, back to the whole visit. It's you know still doing the same thing you were doing. Same 30 thing. Years ago. It's you got to. You got to constantly. Amazon is 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 really winning. Yeah. You know? Uh, and so we're going there, but, but you know, you can take anything off the shelf and it's like they, it recognizes you and charges you mm -hmm. on the way out the door. You don't stop. It's you weird. walk out the door. Yeah. I mean, even today, you know, 
you go to Sam's Club and you can do everything on your phone, you know, and, and go to walk out the door, you do show receipt and leave. You don't even go to a register. Yeah. I mean, we're constantly looking at these ideas and then we try to connect with these people to learn what's the thinking behind all of this. Uh, and and that's kind of how we look at the visioning and, you know, just say, God, where do we need to be? Where are people? It's really what, what do customers want today and where is it moving toward? I mean, Amazon has changed the expectation. So you look at convenience, you know, when I grew up, um, you know, what, what was convenience? Well, people started to drive. There was more cars. So you had to have a parking lot. Today, convenience has really pushed to the ultimate. Why don't you bring it to me? Yeah. Like Domino's. Have Domino, a drone Domino, fly to my house. Domino's Pizza's killing it right now. They were struggling for years. Now they found the right formula. They've been growing for the last five years at double digits because uh, especially millennials love it. They can, you know, obviously order. It's going to be delivered. Convenience right to here. Yeah. I can even track phone. where it's at, you know. Right. Um, and so they're taking convenience and pushing it back to bring it to me, you know. It could be. Which is the ultimate convenience. Absolutely. It could be taking the truck, you know, to the ball game or whatever. But the convenience, the ultimate is, I don't want to go anywhere. You bring it to me what I want, mm -hmm. you know. And so we're kind of constantly looking for, how are we going to do that? So that that is the future. That's where we're, where, where we're heading. How do you feel about it? Like, I guess as far as seeing you, your lifelong learner gone the whole way through from the 60s, where we're at right now, is it a, is it a great place to be in? Is it... Worse in some situations. Uh, I mean, there's always always a good and a bad. What's I think, your I, I think what's it's your favorite great part from a consumer standpoint? Because yeah. you're you're going to bring it to me now, you know. And I think our challenge is always we. That's what we're going to do. You know, we're going to figure out how to do that. Um, if there's one concern I have, even as I look at our, our grandchildren and the next generation, it's um, how can we help them get those not just social skills, but certainly part of it is social skills. Part of it is just being able to interact with people eye to eye. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't, I shouldn't say you don't have that. I mean, many people do, but. But it's going away much more than, it's it, much less prevalent. It, it is, it you know, and I, I think about what, I'm not sure what is the impact of that, um, you know, long term. But it's definitely, people are turning more toward their um, electronics yeah uh, and there's not as much interaction so i don't know what in long term what that means you know? and i i think the same thing that's part of uh what i try to when i when i talk to younger kids i try to really push that home a lot is you're gonna not only is it gonna help you in personal development learning how to talk to people and and just understanding the importance of it for yourself and for others but also it's gonna make you better at whatever you do because people aren't going to have that skill as much in the next oh, couple of generations, right? Yeah. It's going to be going more and more away. So the more you practice that, you're going to have a, a leg up on a lot of people. Yeah. Even if you're in a virtual reality world, you can still make eye contact with somebody in the in the VR headset. <laughs> yeah, make eye contact. And when our people that are graduating, our students graduate, and I know I sat down with them, this group this year, and we talked about where they were going, and you know they were asking. Um, you know, for advice on what, what should I do? And I said, well, you're the first two years, almost everywhere I've been, you know, you talk about visiting people. I went to Enterprise Car out in St. Louis, one of the largest 
privately held businesses. Twenty billion a year they do. It's wow. family owned. Really, enterprises family owned. Family owned. They own Alamo, and they took us in again. The chairman sat with us the whole morning. Uh, he said, "I couldn't believe," it. and he had his top people there sitting with us. But at any rate, they hire the most people. Uh, college graduates every year, 9,000. Oh, okay. So we hired 9,000 people, he said. And at the end of uh, two years, I will have about 3,500. I said, do you mean you get rid of them? Nope, they leave. Hmm. It's, it's like a boot camp, and I will have the 3,500 I want. And I said to the, to the students, other people don't call it a boot camp. They do the same thing. Because I know the companies, they were gone, several of them. They're going to put you through the paces for two years because they've hired probably three times the number they need. Mm-hmm. And they're going to push you and they're going to challenge you. Will you do this? And if you go, mm, you're yeah. one of the, the two that's gone. Yeah, I want you to say, yes, of course I will. That's what they're looking for. The first two, three years, you will be challenged in any big company, wherever you go, mm-hmm. because they hire more than they need mm-hmm. because they want to weed out the ones who they don't think are going to make it, yeah. and they want to hold on to those. You're going to have a positive attitude. You're going to have a can-do attitude. You're going to socialize with people more than the people inside your department. You're going to get to know people outside the departments as well, and you're going to be a can-do person because – you know, enterprise just has this system, boom, boom, boom. The other ones, companies do the same thing. Mm-hmm. They hire more people than they need because they don't know, you know, what's Rob? What's he going to do? Yeah. Show me. And they're going to take two or three years. Yeah. And those that make it through, they're going to move on. And those that don't want, they don't fire them. They just we, they just leave because they're not happy. And that's a powerful thing to spread to uh, the instant gratification generation Mm-hmm. That uh, that I live in, and that's that's coming up. I have a, a three and a half, four year old. You know, he has yep. an iPad in his hand. You know, has can carry his TV of with course. him. That sort of stuff. It, it's, yep. it's amazing. The world they're growing up in is crazy. It's it's even to me that I grew up half internet, half without internet, half with internet. Yeah. And just to look at his life of understanding how to use technology at three years old blows my oh, mind. Sure. So where's it going to be at in twenty years? It's uh, it's oh, fascinating. Know. You know, but, but but I tell them when you go with a company. The last thing they want to hear is when they ask you to do something, I can't do that. Yeah. Don't tell me you can't do that. You know, tell me, yes, I will absolutely do it. I need some assistance. I will do it. The last thing we want to hear is I can't do it. When you say you can't do it, guess what? You're not going to be here. And like you said, this is America. You can do anything. You can do anything. You just need support. You know, you may need help, uh, but you can do it. And I want you to say you can do it. And we went through that whole discussion because they're they're just entering that world. So we sat down in April before they graduated. They all had jobs, which was great, and uh, and they'll be successful. I was going to ask you uh, advice to a twenty-year-old you, but I think you answered it already mm-hmm. with all this. Probably, you know, one <laughs> of the, one of the best things that's happened out of the Sheets Fellows is, um, and the record's still intact, and I hope we can keep it going within six months. Every one of those students has had a job in the field that they wanted or gone on to school within six months, every single one. I got to sit down this, uh, it was it was last year, but I was picked to sit down with the Sheets Fellows kids and, and talk to them. Mm-hmm. And it was so much fun. It was like four hours of 20-minute 
mm-hmm. conversations. Yeah, that's the employer, the uh, entrepreneur residence program. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, four hours. What am I gonna do? I know. And it blew by. It, when it was over, I was like, this was amazing. I wanted to keep going. I mean, I was kind of exhausted. But it was really fun. The kids were great to talk to. And I shouldn't say kids, just the, the guys yeah. and girls were great to talk to. And they had some awesome ideas. I still talk to one on a semi-regular basis. The other one I've talked to a couple of times since then. Uh, and I got a lot out of it. Because yeah. whenever you just, I guess when you're just starting your own business and you get a chance to talk about those sorts of things to somebody else who is getting ready to start their own thing, uh, or who wants to start their own thing, um, it gives you a lot of motivation. It made me realize, wow, I've... I've come a long way from yep. where I was, and I. How many of those Sheets Fellows kids have gone on to to do great things? I mean, and are going to? They are, and and uh, so the decision we had to make was, you know, when we first started, people didn't know what it was back in 2011. You had six students, and then eight, six, you know. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, this year we had 16 come in, uh, and the sophomore class is 22, and we only wanted 15. I said I funded it for 15. I feel like 15 is the right number, and here comes the demand, and so we've decided we're going to go to 30, um, which means more funding. But I had to make sure from my time standpoint and from Donna Bond, who runs it, her, you know, just to make sure that everybody could handle 30 because we're going to double the number, um, and we're going to go to 30. I mean, it's awesome. just the people have learned about it, the students, and they love it. Um, you know, I have a girl from from uh, uh, Bolivia who already rented her apartment down at State College. Already rented it, uh, and it, some of her fellow students told her about this program. She said, "I decided I'd just come and look at it." Mm-hmm. And she said, "I loved it." And so now she's staying here. Her mother and father came. We had dinner with them from Bolivia. He's fourth generation leather maker. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden, she's got an apartment here and an apartment down to State College. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I had a second student. Her, her father wanted to have lunch with me Monday. Said, "I don't know what you did with this girl, but she's always wanted to go to University Park, and now she's staying here." He said, "So I bought a house down by the campus on Twenty Sixth Avenue." And really? So they're they're staying. Which selfishly, we we kind of hoped that some of them. Uh, after they graduated, would say, obviously we need them to stay here four years, but even after graduation, we're, we're obviously we're hoping to hold them. So with thirty coming out of year, we're we're going to have some some great students, and a lot of them I think will stay here and really help build the community. I'll tell you what, Steve, just being uh, in downtown Altoona with the Entrepreneur Center with Launchbox, where my studio was initially uh-huh. with with Donna Bond. Uh, Steve McKnight and the ABCD Corp and uh, Catalyst Space. Just everybody around here, since I've left uh, my career in radio, which it's been a little over a year now that I've been doing my own thing, I've met so many amazing people in central Pennsylvania. And this podcast could be heard worldwide. Anybody could hear it. Right. Uh, but for our area, and I, and I always wanted to leave Altoona. That's always my goal. i got to get out of sure. here. And I'm so glad that I never did because there's amazing, there are amazing things that are happening here. You're... Uh, you have a big part in that, and uh, I'm really just excited now. I've met all these amazing people who are motivated, doing cool things, and I guess the beautiful part now is also with the internet. You you don't have to leave Correct. to do what you want to do. Yeah, you know. And it's uh, so thank you for that. Number you one, bet. just to, for helping people out and for coming on the podcast. And uh, I'm sure you're probably ecstatic to see the area doing what it's doing right now, right? Oh yeah, I, I mean. Obviously, you know, this is where I've lived all my life and uh, got a lot of friends. I mean, a lot of friends here. Um, 
And I think there's a lot of support. And I think as these students, you know, another part of the program that I felt was important was going out in the community and, and having given 80 hours of community service. So every Sheets fellow gives 80 hours of community okay. service. And that puts them in touch with the community leaders and people. And they see the support structure that's out there for them. Uh, and they love getting involved. I mean, a lot of them, I think, look, look at and say, 80 hours, I'm going to dread that. Mm-hmm. They don't dread it at all. I mean, they love getting out there and helping people and connecting with people. That 80 hours of community service for each of them is just so important. And I think it helps attach them to the community and see the support that we have to offer here in Blair County. Yeah, I think that should be required at some point. You know, I I got in trouble many years ago and had to do some community service. And I got a lot out of it just from, it's uh, the the giving back kind of thing that a lot of people are missing in their lives. You don't understand the the gratitude you get from, the satisfaction you get from helping somebody else out. Yeah, I mean, this is 80 hours and they do all kind of different stuff to help people. And I will tell you that I think when they look at it and say, oh boy, I'm going to dread this, and they come away loving it. Yeah, they love the experience. Very cool. Well, I love this experience, so thanks for being here. You bet. Anything else you want to throw in? I'm good. All right. (laughs) I'm sure you are. (laughs) All right, Steve Sheets, uh, part of the podcast for the first time. Is this your first podcast? Yeah. Did I get you? Yes. All right. Awesome. Raised first as well a couple of days ago, so I'm on a streak here. (laughs) All right, Steve, thank you so much for being a part of the show, and have a great day. Thank you. Wow, what a powerful episode with Mr. Steve Sheets. Steve, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Uh, got a shout out to the sponsors, Trade Secrets, 1223 13th Avenue in Altoona. Secrets and Trade on Facebook, Trade Secrets underscore skincare on Instagram, Natural Body Carolina products. All research is done in-house. All development is done in-house. These products have no added chemicals or ingredients. Uh, sugar scrubs, bath bars, all natural deodorants, bath bombs, lip balms, whipped body butters, and so much more at Trade Secrets. And Sports Evolution, that's where I go to get my jiu-jitsu on. Alan Coble runs the place. Uh, he's a purple belt in Gracie Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He also teaches youth martial arts. Now, I've been training there for about a year. I've learned so much from Alan. Number one on how to activate and use muscles in my body that I was never using before, but also learning how to take people out using Jiu-Jitsu. It's so much fun, and uh, it really is not in like a, a braggy sort of way. It's just a way to uh, get your mind right, get your body right, and to, to learn self-defense, to be able to defend yourself is a very important skill to have. So I, I thank Alan for that. Also, he teaches CrossFit, certified personal trainer, certified strength and conditioning specialist, Sports Evolution, 2900 Plank Road, Altoona. SportsEvolution.net is the website on Facebook and Instagram at Leading Athletes. Steve Sheets on the podcast. I Nobody else in the history of the world has ever been able to say that how cool is that right <laughs> he's this is his first podcast ever so thank you to john harrell who linked me up with steve thank you to steve for having the humbleness the kindness to come on the show and talk much blessings to the zebras thank you that's brutal